On this episode of the Unconventional Podcast, I have a good old natter with my friend Rebecca Pay. Rebecca is the one, among others, that put me in touch with Caroline Goldsmith, who would go on to eventually give me my ASD and ADHD diagnosis. Rebecca and I have been connected on LinkedIn probably since I first started in 2019, but this was actually the first time we've ever spoken outside of a DM or a comment on a LinkedIn post. When you put two people together that have got autism and ADHD, it can probably feel like we're speaking a different language some of the time. But to those of you that are exploring your own mind or have got suspicions about your own behavior or diagnosis, this is definitely an episode you won't want to miss. How are you? Yeah, all right. <laughs> I could be yeah. better, I'll be honest. Right, Let, tell me, because since obviously you saw my recent um, announcement that I'd gone to see Caroline. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was obviously on the back of your recommendation and Danny's recommendation. So, me there, so. Yeah, so... Um, and last week, not last week, the week before when I did the podcast with Jamie Shields, that was kind of the first podcast I'd done where I was a little bit more clued up on my own brain. Um, and that conversation just sort of went, it just unfolded in a way that conversations have never done because I could, not that I couldn't relate because I could always relate, but I actually could speak about it with a bit more authority does that does that make sense 100 yeah um so i'm kind of guessing that this conversation is probably going to go a similar way so why could today be better what why in your world is is it all going wrong um well i mean it's stuff i can't talk about the podcast to be honest so. oh no damn it but other than that is it is there anything else that's sort of going wrong or right what what's how's things at the moment are away from that um, yeah, pretty good to be honest, but I'm just, I think I'm struggling to enjoy other things because that thing I should feel terrible and bad about, which I do to an extent, but it's kind of my decision. So, but I feel very guilty and bad about that. And then it's very difficult to enjoy other things because then I'm like, oh, no, I'm not allowed to be happy, but actually yeah. I am. And it's like, oh, yeah. guilt, guilt, guilt. Yeah. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's all right. I mean, work is January was massive and then February was dead. And it was partly that Max broke his arm. So I had two weeks looking after Max off school. And, you know, it's like, like they're off school. Like I, well, I don't know you, but I can't get any work done if Max is off. That's it. Like I'm with him. Like I can't. Like my daughter, she would go off and look at a tablet or whatever. She wouldn't care. But he's like a very person-centered, like he's, if you're there, you're with him and that's it. Yeah. So yeah. there is no, oh, I'm just going to go and do some work. I'll be back yeah. in an hour or whatever. That's just not possible. No. So I had a much limited time to work. So I could keep on top of client stuff, but that was it. I guess other stuff just didn't get, do you know what I mean? I wasn't on top of everything, chasing mm. people and messaging people back quickly. And, you know, that the kind of stuff that you kind of need to be on top of. I was still yeah. posting content, but it probably wasn't as good as it could have been. Do you know what I mean, everything was a bit rushed. And mm. so I'm just trying to get back on track this month. I mean, I've got a VA now because I've got the access to work funding. Um, which has been a bit of a game changer but so we just yeah had her a couple of months now so that's really really helping but it's it's funny you say about January because most people that I speak to say that January February were, were fairly quiet for them um, I guess in your line of work January is naturally going to be a really busy time because people come off the back of Christmas and they're like right I need to get a job so put a shitload of work in in December like right. I did advent so I was posting every single day I was like really on it mm. even though everything was a bit shit I was mm. like oh, I'm gonna just keep on with this and like gonna power through and that I think that paid off in January a lot because a yeah. lot of stuff came to the back of that so yeah. I just need to keep going do you know what I mean what I do works it's just you've got I've got to accept that some months are a bit shit and some are amazing the problem with my business model is I need new new clients all the time so <laughs> uh, do you know what I, I think mine's pretty similar although my clients last longer um because if you do well for them they'll stay with you for months and months and months if not years i guess some of them might do um but it is that it's that relentless kind of attack that you have to get your head around isn't it when especially when linkedin i guess is the main source of revenue i, and I don't know if it is for you but i guess it is it is yeah and i think even if you've got ongoing clients you've got the pressure of what if one of the big ones changes and suddenly pulls it or whatever you know just says oh, i can't do it anymore 
you've got to fill yeah. the gap. I mean, you've always got a pipeline. You've got to have a pipeline full. You yeah. can't rest on your laurels, can you? And think, oh well, it's all going great, and then suddenly a couple of clients decide they're not doing it anymore, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. No, you can't. And it's actually coming back to what you were saying there about um, kids and being off and trying to get work done. It's funny actually because Jake, Jake isn't the he's not the issue when the kids are off. It's actually Josh, because Jake, where he's got that kind of laser focus on whatever he wants to do, um, he just he he's very happy just being in all day, taking himself off, doing what he wants to do, whether it's computer or she'll just go yeah. off and do a thing, and she's fine. She wants snacks, but that's about it. Whereas yeah. Max always wants to do stuff with someone else because yeah. he's just more social. That's Josh. Yeah. Um, out of those two, which are they both? Autistic, one's autistic. What what's the situation at home? Hannah's got a diagnosis for autism and she's the older one at nine and Max is six and they gave him a working diagnosis of autism because he was quite young and not they weren't hundred percent sure because mm. they said some because he's so social and there's different things. They were like there's certain stuff about him that we think maybe he is, but we're not convinced, so we don't want to fully diagnose yet. We put in place a working diagnosis and then come back in a year which will be like in a few months' time now. Come back in a year and we'll like look again kind of thing. That's interesting you say that though about the social. And and I guess that's probably a quite a good place to, to, to start our conversation around autism, neurodiversity, because I think the perception is that it's all, it's all quite narrow. And, and if you're neurodiverse, you're, yeah, if you're neurodiverse, you are one way. And actually, probably a misconception of neurodiversity is that you're quite antisocial, you don't make friends, um, you're quite quiet and, and introverted a lot of the time. And actually, although I'm, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm not an introvert by any means, but I am, I guess I am quite antisocial and I can be, I could easily just not talk to people. Whereas Jake, he's like motormouth. He doesn't shut up ever. Um, so, and, and we've got some similarities between us, but actually in, in other ways, I'm more like my other son, um, who really struggles in certain areas and not like Jake at all. So that it's, you can have two children, both diagnosed with autism or two adults, both diagnosed with autism and they'd be completely different. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'm really good friends with someone who's got ADHD and autism like me, although he's not diagnosed with autism, he blatantly is, um, but he's more ADHD and I'm more autism. Like, do you know what I mean? I've got ADHD as well, but there's definitely like kind of like there's a massive crossover, but there's also sides where he's definitely way more ADHD, like prefers to be like don't plan stuff, more ad hoc, spontaneous. Whereas I prefer to have a bit more of a plan and a routine. Like I like doing things off the cuff as well, but I do like freak out if plans change and stuff like that. Whereas he just rolls with the punches and it's fine. And it's like the two, yeah, the two things we have to like compromise in the middle somewhere sometimes. But just How, shows there's so different, you know, so many differences. Yeah. How do you find the two kind of work together or don't work together? When I was speaking to Caroline about my um, the way my mind works, I said to her that it feels all the time like one is fighting the other. And I said this on with Jamie a couple of weeks ago, and I've said this to Danny as well. The, the autistic side wants that structure that order everything in its place kind of gets hugely stressed if those things are not where they need to be and then after like an hour of that being there the adhd side kicks in and, and wants to disrupt it all and mess it all it's up boring and, come on yeah. we need something exciting yeah exactly same really like there's certain days where i want to do kind of quite a monotonous task of like like an admin type thing or filling in a spreadsheet or something like that. That'll give me joy. Do you know what I mean? I love doing that. I'm like, oh God, this is great. But another time I'm like, that's the worst, like that's the last thing I want to do. I just want to create content. I'm saying creative. And, and it is hard because you don't always have those days on the days you need to have them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's like you've actually got to do this boring task today, but actually I want to be really super creative and do something else. And it's like yeah. quite hard. I haven't mastered like, in any way controlling it and I don't know if you can really but like sometimes you have to just try and have the flexibility mm. to be able to do what 
you know you're set up to do that day what your brain decides it's going to do because i'm the same like it, there's certain things like i'll say i really like routine in certain ways because i like the predictability of stuff or if someone makes a plan i assume that plan's going ahead like if they say something then i assume that's like happening whereas they might be a bit like oh well i thought it was just like you know it wasn't a definite plan or now I've changed my mind or actually I thought we could do this now. And then that just freaks me out. And I've had to learn to deal with that and like to not give my initial response to something. Like say someone's really sick or their kid's sick and they can't make something. My initial reaction would always be like, not, oh God, I hope you're okay. And I'd just be like, oh, for fuck's sake, what am I going to do now? Do you know what I mean? It's like how it affects me. And that's not because I'm a horrible person. I haven't got empathy. It's just my initial reaction. I've had to recognise, okay, that might not be the reaction they want to hear. I need to, like, just don't text straight back sort of thing. Process that a little bit. Recognise that that's just me freaking out because you've got a plan in your head and it's not going to happen now. That's okay. And then kind of think, right, how is this for them? Like, put myself in their shoes and be like, oh, actually, are you okay? Is your kid okay? Or whatever it is. Like, give the empathy. Because I'm a really empathetic person, but my initial reaction to something might very much be like, how's that affecting me? And like that I, used to make me feel like a really selfish, horrible person. But I'm now I've realized I just can't help that. That's just how my brain works. Yeah. I, I totally get that because my wife's often said to me, you do lack compassion. And I think it's that whole, I mean, I was a manager for 20 odd years and I feel like in generally I was quite good. And I felt like I always had the people in mind in terms of what was best for them. And I understood that people drive performance and if they're not happy, the business is going to suffer. But at the same time, I feel like, very much like you, I completely lacked that compassion. If someone was like phoned in sick or they were, anything that was going to affect the team or me or cause me additional work or to push me outside of a structured routine that I was in, my initial reaction was, oh shit. Almost to the point where a lot of the time I thought they were lying or blagging it. Yeah. And it wasn't that I didn't care or that I, um, you know, well, like you, it wasn't that I didn't have empathy for the situation, but that initial thing is, shit, this is going to disrupt me. So how the fuck am I going to deal with that? Yeah, Um, it's because you realise you've got to change. You've got to deal with a change, whatever that change is, like working extra hours or working the weekend suddenly or changing your plans. Like, you know, for me, if I'm really looking forward to something, it's like it can be as simple as, I choose something on a menu. I really, I'm already imagining myself eating that thing. <laughs> so if they then, when you go to order it, say, oh, we don't have any of that left. I'm like, what the fuck? And obviously <laughs> I don't get really raging with waitresses or anything like that. You have to internalize it, but you're like, yeah, I really don't want this other thing. I'm going to have to choose now. And that's, that's ruined the meal. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I can't help it. Like I have something set in my head. If it doesn't happen, yeah. I find it really hard to like, deal with the change yeah of whatever the new thing is because i've already experienced that thing in my head like i've already gone through it the emotion of it (laughs) so when that doesn't then come out i'm like oh my god yeah it's weird um obviously you and i both got diagnosed late later in life than than perhaps lots of children are now because it's a lot more spoken about now than you and you and i were kids yeah it's more recognized isn't it yeah when you look back, because I did this, I've done this a lot over the last couple of weeks and beyond, but more so in the last couple of weeks. Are there points along your life from from school, from early working careers, stuff like that, where you look back and go, that makes sense now? Like struggles that you might have been going through and didn't really understand why that now make sense? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, I was great at primary school. Like it was quite a small school. We knew everyone. My dad was a local doctor, so everyone knew who I was and, like, had loads of friends. And that was that was a good – I had, like, good primary school years. Went to secondary school, like, about five miles from my house. I had to get on a bus every day. Like, brand new people. Only knew, like, a couple of people went there from my primary school. And it was a fucking disaster, basically. Yeah. It was horrific. Like, I didn't really make any new friends. Like, I mean, the old one, but not really. Like, certainly no one I'm in contact with now at all like no one from I bet you no one from secondary school would even remember who I was like because I just tried to stay in the shadows a bit because it was just anything you did if you stood out in any way you were just absolutely annihilated it was horrific and I just didn't fit into any of the groups because I was so sort of strongly myself 
which is a good thing. But actually, funny enough, at that age, it's a terrible thing. Like, that's the last thing you want to do as a teenager is actually stand out in any way or like, you know, that age, young, te- young teen sort of thing. It's like you don't, standing out is the role you don't want to, you should be trying to fit in to like a peer group or whatever. But I never wanted to do that. I was like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to be myself and do this and wear my hair and pigtails and whatever. And then I just used to get mocked relentlessly for it. Yeah. And I, and obviously I was very clever as well, obviously, but, <laughs> you know, I'm quite intelligent. I always did quite well in class and stuff. So then obviously that doesn't get you any friends either, generally speaking, <laughs> like at school. And then they put, the, put a group of us into a group called the Elite Group, which they actually called the Elite Group. Like, yeah, cheers. Thanks for that. Mm. So that was like another like, a great thing to have. But yeah, I yeah, just hated good. secondary school. I was lucky I had a really lovely group of friends outside of school. Any youth group thing I was in because I used to go to church there. Um, but yeah, that that was I was lucky to have that group of friends because otherwise I'd have been really lonely and lost. But I think as I had that core group of friends, I thought, well, obviously I'm still able to have friends, and it's not, you know, I felt like it wasn't me, but it was just this. Everyone else was just idiots or whatever. Like, do you, know what I mean? it's like, you know, the funny thing when you stuck with all these awful people. <laughs> when you talk about. Um when you're a teenager all you want to do is fit in um and then when you get older you especially now you're kind of pushing people to not fit in and to be yourself and to stand out because when you get older that's more em- embraced um and you're not in that that kind of pressure chamber of school where any little thing that stands out is going to get hammered um and i think that's that's still very current in schools today kind of all these years on I, I still see my son who's still at primary school until September when he goes to secondary he very much stands out in his class and he's proud too he's got his little group of two or three mates that are all very similar to him they're all a bit crazy and then you've got the cool kids over there and at 10 and 11 the cool kids pretty much leave Jake and his little group alone my concern is that at secondary school the the cool kids won't leave Jake and his his little group alone because the difference starts to widen and kids can be mean and I, yeah they can and I still I still think that's a worry today don't you oh yeah I do I mean I'm really worried about my two going to secondary and I, and I hope those worries are unfounded and they won't have an experience like me like but I do worry about it because they both you know are quite can be a bit wacky or whatever and like they've got some amazing friends like they've really got lovely groups of friends both of them um but I do worry that as they get older maybe some of those friends will change or mature in different ways maybe or whatever and it will just be Mm. like oh no I don't want to still be doing this or Mm. hanging out with this person or whatever I mean like you just don't know how people are going to change um and then you know they might be a bit feel a bit lost I don't know we'll see I mean you just don't know, do you? You can you can only hope for the best, really. No, you don't. It was funny actually because this morning, and I've just I've actually just recorded a video on this for social. I don't know whether I'll put it out or not, but I've just done a, a come and see um, morning at, at Josh's school, who's our youngest. So he's seven, and you go basically parents going for an hour, and they, and they've been doing it for weeks. And today it was our turn. So me and another lady who was a parent of one of the women, uh, one of the girls in there. And we go and sit and watch the maths class for like half an hour. And then you sit with the kids around the table and help them with these exercises, these maths exercises. And Josh massively struggles at school. Um, and it, and at first we didn't realise quite how much, but I think we're slowly getting to, to grips with that. But when you actually see them in the class ex- experience and I was watching him, when they were asking the questions of the kids and these are basic questions and he just didn't know like he's he's really really behind bless him and he comes home from school every single day having held it together at school because that's his nature he doesn't want to get into trouble and literally explodes like a bomb every single day and it and it's easy to look and go oh you know you're just being a little shit or what's your problem or whatever but actually we know we've known for a while but today I saw it firsthand why he comes home like that because he is just so unhappy like he wants to to do better but he just hasn't got it 
and it was it was heartbreaking to watch to be honest i i really just watching him in that environment where most of the kids kind of knew the answers and bless him he just he just doesn't have a clue just doesn't have a clue he's he hasn't he just hasn't got it um and i think that is a probably a lesson for all parents with young kids that because we're we're busy we're working every day it's we're stressed but actually when kids come home from school like that there's a genuine reason behind it a lot of the time yeah i mean i get it with my two hannah it's fine now if you leave her alone it's something i learned like before she got her actual diagnosis but it's one of the things i sort of thought hang on a minute um was that she used to be a nightmare after school, like just insane, screaming, whatever, just absolutely meltdowns. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck's go- like, what is going on? But actually now, if you let her just have time to herself, and it means we don't get to see much of her, do you know what mm. I mean, in the, in, after school in the evening. But you have to accept that she needs that time by herself. So it means she's probably on Roblox and, mm. you know, watching YouTube or whatever and just snacking. Um but that's what she needs because that's the only way she can cope. And actually she's perfect in school and like does really well. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky they both seem to get on quite well academically. Um, Hannah's kind of like the top of most stuff that she's doing. So she's doing really, really well. But I think that takes so much out of her, like mm. all day trying to like put on this kind of performance of being perfect and mm. doing everything and answering all the questions and stuff mm. that it just, she just needs time to herself. But I see with Max now, he's going through the phase that maybe Hannah went through a couple of years ago where school is just really getting to him and when he gets home he wants to spend time with me because he's a people person he wants to like do stuff with me but then he just can't like I don't know he'll just like writhe about on the sofa and be screaming about something like I'm cold or I'm hungry or whatever it is that emotion just takes over and it's just it's not really about that it's just all coming out from like having been kind of pent up at school yeah and it's just, I think it's worse at the moment because he's got a broken arm, so he's not able to run around at break time or anything like that. Yeah. He has to stay in every break time and lunchtime. So he's just got all this pent-up energy as well on top, but it's like, oh, God, and you just don't know what to do. Like, it's really hard to know how to actually handle it. My wife says no that, actually. My wife says that in that when the kids don't get the chance to go out, so say it's really bad weather and they don't let them out because she works at the school. Play. <laughs> She 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 says that the afternoon, if they don't get to go out on lunch, is an absolute nightmare. Um, I mean, it's chaos anyway because she works in Year R. But it, she said it's ten times worse if they don't get to go out. Um, you mentioned there about um, it's what they need, and and you you've got it right with your kids. You kind of accept, okay, I want to spend time with them, but actually, what you need because of how much it's taken out of you being that focus for that long is that I just leave you alone. So we do those things, don't we? We, we kind of let them yeah, do what they need. Yeah, and I try and say to them, like, we all have this thing in that, like, their dad isn't the same, but we're the rest of us are neurodivergent. So we're like, if we need quiet time, then that's okay. And like, I've always sort of said, well, we need some quiet time. So like, they both will say, I need quiet time. Because I think I want them to be able to express that need. And like, that's okay. Like, mm. you're allowed to have time by yourself and say look I don't want anyone else to come in this room for a while or whatever and it's harder for me to get it generally because so sometimes I go out and I go and see a friend or go to a pole class or whatever and I'm not always there and then I feel bad because I'm not maybe there every, I'm not there quite a few evenings a week because bedtime's gonna be a nightmare when I'm there but I'm always there after school I mean I always take them to school I always pick them up from school we always do stuff at weekends mm. But you've got to balance up that kind of guilt of not being there because I've got to put my needs in the mix as well as theirs yeah. Um, and also, I think, well, sometimes at, at bedtime, if I'm tired and stressed, they're tired and stressed, and it's just a cauldron of like, not, mm. it's just a nightmare of emotions. Mm. Whereas their dad is kind of a lot calmer at bedtime, would just be like, yeah, watch your tablet for half an hour mm. and read a, read a book or whatever, and then lights out, and that's it. It's like, mm. you know, it might go on for a bit longer than it's planned or whatever, but it's quite calm, I think. Mm. Whereas when I'm there, it's just, normally a nightmare <laughs> max can never stop talking either he just can't switch off his brain so he'll just be yeah. chatting, chatting, chatting. well uh, i don't know if you've had experience with this but jake um he has he was on melatonin tablets um because of that very reason he just couldn't sleep to try something with hannah because her sleep's getting worse and worse she's just up mm. so late now it's getting ridiculous the challenge with the melatonin is though that it's not supposed to be used long term 
and in Jake especially, it um, brought on really bad headaches. Oh yeah, that's not good. So he's now not on it. He's on this special sleep milk, which costs about eight million pound on Amazon, and yeah, it's a bargain. And it tastes like feet. Doesn't work as yeah. Doesn't work as well as the tablets. So all round, it's a it's a really good deal. Fucking joke. Um, <laughs> um, we I want to talk about because something you've just said there, and we've we've touched on it, <clears throat> is is in terms of what people need, and I, and I want to move say from kids just for a second to adults because at the moment we're in a we're in a world where we're getting a lot better at understanding what children need especially our own and especially if we're we've had diagnosis and we understand neurodiversity but in the workplace all of a sudden our kids are going to grow up and they're going to have all these same needs and wants and mental stresses and and something you said which was so spot on was it's it takes such a lot of effort for your daughter in a day to, to be that good. Do you know what I mean? She wants to be good, so she's in the top for everything. But actually, it's so exhausting for her to be there that when she comes home after a five, six-hour day, whatever the day is, she just needs that that time. Well, obviously, as you get to be an adult, if you've not been able to continually have that time and whether it's the school whether it's your employer understanding that need for those mini breaks and those timeouts and stuff like that that's where it kind of goes wrong a little bit in employment doesn't it yeah absolutely I, I always found personally obviously I didn't know I was um, neurodivergent when I was employed but I found I get to a stage where I just got so bored of doing the same thing and the same routine and like the nine to five type thing even with flexible working hours it all just got a bit of a and like the office is too noisy and like you just don't you almost realize it's all those things but it's like you're just so exhausted by the end of it and then you've got you know a busy social life when you're younger and stuff like that and it, you're just doing all the things and then often like kind of self-medicating with alcohol at the weekend because that's just like the done thing and, that, and it's all just kind of I don't know it all gets a bit like what's the bloody point of any of this and you just got like any joy you had in the job in the beginning just seems to dissipate because it's just those expectations on you to mm. you know just be on it all the time mm. and like especially when it was like more office based like 100% of the time it is just exhausting i think like mm. dealing with people being around you all the time like now i pay for an office for myself just so i can have like a quiet place for me to be like and work and people are like just work by yourself why are you paying for an office so, like just work from home and i'm like well it, that just doesn't work for me because i won't get the same amount of work done it's not mm. my space like it's chaotic and then mm. when the kids are there I can't work anyway so I wouldn't be able to work evenings and weekends when I need to mm. and for me like it's worth the money that I pay for this place mm. like it pays for itself in that respect because I just get so much more done something um, you've just said there really reminded me of um, I guess this is actually an opinion but it's kind of going to con- contradict what I'm about to say You've just said there about someone said to you, oh, just work on your own. You don't need to pay for an office because that's their mindset. That's their opinion on. Go to a co-working space. Like, why don't you just go to a co-working space or a cafe or you could change the cafe you go to and like do this. I go to a pub, like you go to these different places. It'd be great. I was like, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. (laughs) Like, are you joking? Like, imagine how noisy it would be. There'd be people everywhere. Like, I can do that on occasion. I wouldn't get like proper work done like it'd be okay for like writing a blog or whatever mm. but if I had to do actual client work you just absolutely no way forget it and and I think it's it's like you just don't want to do those things like these people that suggest it and people say things to me all the time that are I guess the done thing like what what the masses would do and then when I when I argue it and say but I just don't want to do that like this is what I want to do I can see they don't get it yeah like I mean then... to go networking all the time that's another thing everyone's always trying to get me to go networking and I did I, to be fair I did a few like in the beginning of my business eight years ago where I did a couple of years of just networking all the time but the thought of having to do that I'll go to the old one now but the thought of doing that all the time is like just forget it mm. like it's just I find it so draining yeah that that's it like, that's my whole day is a write-off afterwards yeah yeah 
It's, I'm glad you've brought that up actually because in the very early days of, of starting the business in May, people were saying to me, you need to get to events, you need to get to events. And I'd be like, I really don't want to. Like I, I spent three years building that network on LinkedIn so I didn't have to go to networking events. Like I'm not starting from cold here. Um, and obviously luckily up until now, I haven't needed to and we've had business coming in and a steady stream of leads. And But I feel like, I put the work in for that. Like I did the work while I was still employed, which is what I'm always telling people to do now. But I must admit, I have signed up to a couple because my wife is saying, look, there is only so much, especially in the early days, there's only so much you can get out of shutting yourself away in a room and not seeing the outside world. So I have signed up to a couple, but like you, I know that I'm going to go to them and they're only a couple of hours. I know that I'll be anxious all day about going. I'll be there for a couple of hours and I'll be exhausted at the end of it. And and I say that to people and they're like, what? Well, the it's thing like is, two I hours. really enjoy it when I'm there. It's not even like I'm having a bad time. I love meeting new people. Like I quite, I'll get on with anyone and I actually do really enjoy meeting new people and chatting to people and stuff. And I can happily do that. But it just takes so yeah. much out of me. Like it's like yeah. I recorded a podcast the other morning on Wednesday um, for Rec Talk, who are local, and they've got an actual studio like in their office. So I went and recorded it. And so it was, I was meeting them for the first time. So I was meeting them and their teams. I was meeting four new people. Um, so I was there for quite a few hours, like because we were like chatting before, and then we chatted a lot after, as well as the actual podcast, which was an hour. So it was all really good. Like it was a lovely morning. It was a great experience. But I, I genuinely, I went home, I was starving because I had something to eat and then I just pretty much fell asleep. Like it was mental. Like I was at, just completely done. I was wiped. Like, yeah. And it was, there was nothing like, not because it was a negative experience. And I think that's the problem. People see it like, oh, because you just, you're not sociable. And so you don't like being around yeah. people and stuff. And obviously you're an introvert and whatever. And like a side of me is an introvert because I love time by myself, but a massive side of me is an extrovert. I love speaking to new people and meeting people and stuff yeah. and going out, but it just absolutely wrecks me. Like <laughs> So I yeah. just have to know that I won't get work done afterwards. And obviously then yeah. you're, you're sacrificing a whole day then yeah. for like an event. So actually for the podcast or whatever, that's worth it. But if it's just networking and I'm not, do you know what I mean? It's not necessarily yeah. like my target market for me particularly. And I don't know, networking takes a long time to actually have a positive effect, I think, anyway, mm. on a business. You have to put yeah. a lot into it. Yeah, it does. You have to weigh that up and say, actually, is that worth it? Because that's mm. going to be like, a, you know, a, a day, a week yeah. out of my calendar. I can't do anything else or whatever. And and I know some people won't understand that because they'll just say, okay, because a lot of people that I speak to, they block they block the day. So they'll say, right, a networking event's three hours. We've well, still got like five hours worth of work to do. You could work on the train. You can work on your phone. You can make calls and that. I'm like, no, my brain don't work that way. Let me, when I'm doing a podcast. Before and try to do that. And it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Even doing these podcasts because of all the setup and the cameras and the audio equipment. And then me thinking about my guest and, and what we're going to talk about and stuff. I don't. That's why I do them on a Friday because I I probably won't get anything else done today unless it's like a two-minute task. If I had to write for a client today and do a podcast, I couldn't do it because the podcast just, A, takes up all my brain power before and then afterwards I'm knackered. Isn't that the other thing though as well? It's the time before something. So I find like if I've got a call, like if it's a call in the morning or I go call them, that's not so bad. I just go straight into it, get on with it, whatever although afterwards it might take a while but if there's a call that says something later in the day you think oh well I can get lots of work done in the morning no, no. that's not going to happen because I'm thinking about whatever the thing is especially if it is like a podcasting or whatever like I've done nothing this morning like before <laughs> <Me either. laughs> like just completely useless like I've made a massive to-do list of the stuff <laughs> I've got to do and now I'm going to be trying to do that this afternoon which after this I probably won't be very successful but yeah there's like just before the preparation time as well like they're mentally preparing for everything and you're overthinking like I was saying to a friend the other day and they really didn't get it I was like do you ever like prepare what you're going to say like in a situation like before you even if it's just I don't know ordering a drink at a bar or just yeah. 
asking someone something that even someone I know really well or just like the next bit of conversation I'm gonna like it's always running through in my head like what I'm gonna say like even I'm just in a shop going to ask for something or whatever like it's ridiculous yeah. like I just yeah. do that all the time and it wasn't for ages that I realized that not everyone does that <laughs> like that's not normal <laughs> like, I think there's a lot of things I do that not everyone does you 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 um mentioned earlier about you do things that other people will just take in their stride, but they're so draining. You literally have to then have a sleep. I used to, at secondary school, so from like 11, 12, right up until 17, 18, when I was at college, I would get home from school at half three, whatever. I'd have a sleep for two hours every day without fail. I just used to walk in the door, go straight upstairs because I was just mentally done. And my mates were like, what? We get in from school, dump our bags and go out playing. Football, riding our bikes or whatever. I'll be like, no way, mate. Come and get me after dinner. I need a sleep. And it it does come back to that whole, it took so much effort for me to just be present in school because I I struggled to to take in what was being said. And, And I was all right at school. I was in the top classes. But very much like your daughter... That took that just exhausted me. It took it out of me being at that level, more much more so than it did my friends. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? it just yeah, it's just how it is. Mm. Um, LinkedIn, which is obviously where we know each other from. Um, you've mentioned there about getting back to posting and creating, and some days you really want to create, and other days you just want to do a spreadsheet. And I really know that feeling well. Um, do you find that? Because I still find four years on, I still find I get a bit bummed out when posts do rubbish. Yeah, well, some of my posts have been doing really rubbish lately, although I've had a bit of a role, like a, it's been a bit, I mean, it's always like this. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, it's not like a new thing. But I think they've had a lot of changes, so it's kind yeah. of almost been worse lately. But yeah. I've had some real absolute, like, just bombed completely. And I'm not even like sometimes I think, oh, this post might not do well, and it doesn't, or whatever. Post surprise you all the time, and then other ones have done really well, like mm. almost unexpectedly. Mm. But it's been there's been some real like stinkers. Do you know what I mean, I'm like, yeah. oh god, and it does annoy me because it's often when it's one that I've spent ages thinking yeah. about yeah. or like writing, and then I'm like, like I'm better off just spending ten minutes just yeah. doing one ad hoc. I swear to God. <laughs> How do you think? LinkedIn especially, but in general social media, how do you think that's changed over the last few years since you've been doing it? Because I've got my opinions um, and I I definitely feel like there's a new wave of people and, and the way people are using LinkedIn, especially now. How do you feel it's kind of evolved over the last few years since you've been using it? And do you think it's got better or worse? I don't know. I think I did really enjoy it in the beginning like not that I don't enjoy it now but I think it was kind of easier to stand out and stuff and I think in the nicest possible way it feels a bit like everyone's trying too hard now a little bit like I feel like everyone's writing a great hook at the beginning of the this and that and it's all a bit like maybe it's because I'm analyzing it from that copywriting perspective but I just get like I read through my timeline like even people I like people I don't like whatever and I'm like oh, well, that's like a, just a really irritating hook or that, like, why have you said, like, I know that you're just saying that so that we click and do, do you know what I mean? I overanalyze it and I think, oh God, this is just tedious. And like, when yeah. it's people I like, you know, I'll still comment because I like them and so I want to support their posts and stuff. But I just feel like it can all be, a, it gets a little bit samey because, yeah, it, but it's samey in the way that everyone's trying to be different. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if, if that makes yeah. any kind of sense. Yeah, it does. And I actually think there's a there's a new wave of creators that have come on to LinkedIn in the last year, probably since COVID and the back end of COVID. They've kind of left Instagram, left Twitter. They've looked at LinkedIn as like this free organic heaven of still getting reach. And actually, it's tougher now than it's ever been to get that organic reach. And I wonder if that's partly to do with the changes LinkedIn have made and partly to do with um, the amount of people now coming on to the to the volume's about to come into it, isn't it? Because if there's a load more people creating content, it's going to be harder to be seen. Do you think the voice around neurodiversity? I know it's getting louder. I know there's a lot of people that are now talking about it 
more prominently. Do you think all of it is genuine? That's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's not for me to say whether it is or isn't. Like, you can't accuse someone of being, like, pretending. But I think, you know, there, I think there's definitely uh, a lot of people who are like, oh, this is a bandwagon. And uh, there's a lot of people with the opinion that, oh, loads of people are just jumping on this bandwagon now. Oh, right, you've got ADHD. Yeah, everyone's got ADHD. I roll. Yeah. Um, because they know it will get, like, reach and everyone will look at it and stuff. But obviously, I think there's a, you know, the vast majority of the people are genuine. I just think, I don't know. It's, I think it's like we were saying before as well, that there's a lot of myths around it all and stuff. And it's easy to kind of go along with the like, I think I saw a post yesterday, I don't know who it was from. And they were saying there is a space, for, you know, like neurodiverse people who aren't necessarily really out there or really different. And actually, some of us just seem quite neurotypical, but we're, there's still a place for us here. Like we can still do like share our, what we're doing and what our posts are about. And like, yeah. this should be a space for everyone. You don't have to be like, I don't know, doing something wacky or like really like check me out. I'm so crazy sort of thing. Mm. I think, I don't know, it can be a bit try hard, I suppose, that people mm. are trying to fit into this. I don't know, as if it's like the new in crowd or something. Mm. But I can't think it can be, I don't know, I guess it can be frustrating when you're like, you know that, it's genuine mm. for you because other people might view it as like, oh, right, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> You're just saying that and using it in What's... some way to like get more attention or whatever, yeah. which I would never do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mention it all the time, but that's because people can relate to it and then that mm. might help someone else. Like, obviously, I'm sure, like you, get lots of messages from people who are like, oh, yeah, mm. my child's autistic. I'm really glad you posted about that. Or, yeah. you know, actually, I'm thinking of getting diagnosed or I've been diagnosed. Like, lots of people share their stories like by DM, you know, not necessarily publicly. Mm. So then that makes you feel like, oh, I'm glad I've written about mm. this now because that's really important to do that. But you just, I guess you just have to brush off the naysayers. But I don't I'll know. I don't what... like accusing anyone of like faking it or whatever because who fucking knows really? Like, Yeah, who knows? And, and you never really know what someone's going through, what the reasons that they're talking about it more. Um, I think it's easy to, to um, go on to... LinkedIn and look at certain people and think, oh, they're just an attention seeker. But the reality is, A, we're all trying to seek attention because we all, all want our business to do well. That is the point of marketing. Um, and also, you, some people are attention seekers because of something that's missing in their lives. And who are we to judge that? Um, it's funny, though, when you go on to TikTok, for example, because I, I almost didn't do the announcement video that I put out purely because of what we've just discussed. I didn't want the people to have that perception of me. Yeah, I didn't didn't want that. But I thought, you know what, fuck it. I, 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 I can't control how they react. I can only control how I deliver it. Um, but what's interesting is when I put that same video on TikTok, um, the response is always different on TikTok because people are a lot more attacking on TikTok. And I've heard quite a few people over the last few months talking about ADHD especially and people that really suffer with it and like it's affected their lives massively and they can't get a job or they can't hold down a job and stuff. They look at the people that perhaps are on social media talking about ADHD like it's some superpower and they really hate it because they, they kind of think, no, it isn't. It's been the bane of my life. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's where I guess some people um, struggle to get on board with this whole world around neurodiversity and how it should be embraced and how it because some people that aren't in that world that haven't met people in there in that, that think like they do that have embraced them and that have championed them have, have had to live with something for years that's really affected them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it depends where you are and like how it affects you and it can affect you differently day to day as well. Um, it's, you know, for some people it is like they, they're not going, yeah, it's going to be virtually impossible to get a job or they, you know, they just find day to day like functioning really difficult and really super hard to make any kind of friends. Like it can be a massive disability and yet you've got another part of the neurodiversity, like neurodivergent 
gang of this people saying, oh, this is a superpower, it's not a disability, how dare you say it's a disability, rah, rah, rah. Like, do you know what I mean? There's the two sides of it, and it's not like anyone's wrong in a way. I think you just have to be, like, a bit more open-minded and accept that everyone's got a very different experience of it. Mm. And so everyone's individual experiences are totally valid, mm. and you shouldn't be trying to validate someone else's experience because it's different to yours. Mm. Um, you know, some days I feel like, oh, God, this is just a fucking burden. Like, I wish I was normal. <laughs> I mean, like, this is still my head in because I can't. I'll have some stupid falling out over something or I'll have had some terrible, like, row with the kids or something. And I feel really bad about myself because I snapped because I was mm. just, you know, I was here and they just I couldn't. I had nothing left and I lost it. And then I feel really bad. Like, I always talk to them about that stuff afterwards and say, I'm really mm. sorry and, you know, explain. Mm. But it's you know I'll think oh god I wish I could just be normal because then that wouldn't have happened but you know for the majority of the time I try and stay positive about it because it's like well actually this is part of me and it's a great thing and I, you know, I can use it for good as well and it's what makes me me and mm. it's you know it's not like this thing like, like you know yeah. that I'm trying to get rid of because it isn't it's part it's how my brain works do they ever hard, ask you... you feel like you're fighting against yourself yeah do they ever ask you questions about autism and and kind of have they ever said to you that they wish they didn't have it or uh, how do those conversations come yeah, about if they happen? Yeah, we haven't really had that yet. Um, Hannah doesn't like to talk about it at all. She mm. is very much like just, she will occasionally talk, but not really. She would never bring it up. She just doesn't, I don't know whether she thinks about it a lot, but she just ignores it almost yeah. as a thing. Whereas Max is the kind of person who will talk about everything. And like, we've got a couple of good books that we've been through with them and stuff and like, Max is more kind of like oh yeah that's like our brains isn't it or whatever and he's like quite into Elon Musk and stuff because I was saying that we think Elon Musk is autistic probably and um, and I actually really like Elon Musk Uh, the media have turned against him now so everyone hates him because obviously everyone believes what the media tell them but I still really like him Um, and so I like people like that who've done a lot and been successful I think are good I don't like to use the word role model maybe for Elon Musk but like you know what I mean like you can say actually you can be autistic and still be like super like yeah you know influential or successful or however you want to word it you don't have to it doesn't have to be everything doesn't have to be a massive struggle I think you just have to accept that you view the world in a different way and maybe you're going to live your life in a different way yeah um and so it might be harder in the fact that you're going against what society expects etc hmm. um but yeah I mean he's been inquisitive in some ways but I think one of the things that came up was like there's a few children at school who are more challenging, shall we say, behaviour-wise, who maybe don't stay in the class and just, like, run around and, like, yeah. have, like, a, a worker with them, you know, support worker with them all the time and don't really sit down and ever have lessons, like, occasionally in the class and then back out again. Um, and we've kind of had that discussion, well, they're autistic as well, but obviously they're very different and it just shows that, you know, your brain works differently but not necessarily exactly the same as every other autistic person. Because that's just not how it works. No, I think I think on that subject, what my wife's found difficult working in school with an autistic child is that there's very often, for every one child that's got a diagnosis and an EHCP and, and a one-to-one, there's probably five more that don't have any diagnosis, don't have any support, that need it. Um, and although she's only paid to support one, she ends up supporting about eight or nine kids because the, the school can't fund it unless they're getting funded. The school don't get funded unless there's an EHCP in place. So, and I think that's the battle that schools have got at the moment. There's just so many children that are struggling to keep up with the workload and the, and the extra demands post-COVID that it it's, I think teaching's probably become harder than, than ever at the moment. Yeah, well, my son's whole year um, started, say so year two, they started during the lockdown they started school during the lockdown like the first ever school so they missed pretty much half their last year of nursery um and then started school in the lockdown so we didn't get to go in there was no transition they were just bang in straight away you had didn't even see their classrooms once it was mental really when you think about it didn't get to go in and see anything like no plays nothing um and the teachers have said to me like that whole year because max really suffers with confidence like in his work and stuff he's really good He's at the expected level for everything, but he thinks he's crap. Mm. And no one's obviously no one's telling him that. Like we're really positive and everything. 
and like his teachers are really like positive they're a really positive school and he's been to the head teacher with his writings it's so good and all these different things but he still thinks he's crap um and they were saying actually it's not just him like a lot of that year has struggled with confidence and stuff in their abilities and they think it is like a lockdown like effect basically yeah like a covid hangover as i call it like yeah. it's just that effect of those children what they went through and how it's just a very different experience mm. in the bubbles and all this shit and time mm. off again school and then back in and it's like they've missed out on like chunks of stuff and also i think where they've been trying to catch them all up and mm. there's been probably a lot more pressure mm. and that's I all think... had a knock-on effect on all of them i think yeah i think the mistake people make is you know, if we think of us as adults and we've had all these years to understand our own emotions and get used to all the changes that life throws at you and lockdown and COVID affected us. And then they think to themselves, okay, but kids are resilient. They they bounce back. There's no such thing as mental health in kids. But actually, they've not had the years of experience we have at adapting to that stuff. So, and I remember saying to Lynch during COVID, the fallout of this for kids is going to last for years because th- people will underestimate how much this is impacting those children. Yeah, um, I think we all did because, like you said, we were like, "Oh, the kids are so resilient; they're just getting on with it because they weren't outwardly like freaking out necessarily." Mm. But it's still, yeah, it has like a knock-on effect because mm. it's just they've developed in different ways. You think of children who were like very little and had like no socialization for like two years or whatever, like. It's just mm. that's got to affect their development. It's it's bound to in some way. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, we've been speaking for nearly an hour. <laughs> that's gone fast. It has um, gone fast. You uh, tell people listening um, just briefly what you do, what you're famous for, and how they can get hold of you if they uh, if they need to. Uh, famous for uh, you're famous. Uh, famous famous for pole dancing and eating ice cream no. um, and CV writing obviously um, yeah I write kick-ass CVs um, for leaders that actually get them the interviews they want <laughs> rather than just anything um, I've got a new YouTube channel so I'd love people to come and find me on there um, kick-ass CVs obviously I'm on LinkedIn as Rebecca Pay the main place uh, where I spend my time but I'm trying to launch the YouTube thing <laughs> So I've got to remember to push it. Um, and I have got a book on Amazon, How to Get the Kick-Ass Cream Serve. It's, and it's an awesome book. Obviously, it's an awesome book. YouTube, that's interesting because I do, I've dabbled in YouTube a few times over the years. It is ridiculously hard to get traction on. I know. <laughs> um, almost as hard Challenge as... Challenge myself. It's, yeah, it's almost as hard as getting traction on podcasts. Um in fact, YouTube's harder, I think. Um, so, uh, but this this episode will be on the YouTube channel, as all of them have been for the last couple of months. So, uh, brilliant! Thank you very, very much for giving up your time today. Uh, maybe you'll get some work done this afternoon, or maybe, like me, you won't. This might motivate me to do loads of work. It might do. It might do. I'm. I'm. I feel like I need to lie down now. To be honest, it's um, podcasts definitely do that. Do that for me. But uh, I can take, I can make an excuse because it's lunchtime, so I could just go and lie down for an hour. Um, and then I've got to go and pick the kids up. So I think it's safe to say today nothing's getting done. Right off. Yeah, today's a right off. Today's a right off. Rebecca, thank you very, very much, um, and uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Yeah, take care, mate.